Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, welcome friends to the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell for this Easter Sunday. It's great that you're watching with us. As we begin, let me open with these words of 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, it's the hope we have in Jesus with which we meet today, with which we celebrate. And so as we begin, let's continue to celebrate by praising our great God. Rejoice the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Mortals give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say. Well, as we come to God's word, let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us, that you made us. Father, please speak to us now by your word. Help us to have lives that are filled with joy and hope because Jesus not only died for us, but that he rose again for us. Lord, help us as we read your word to respond to you in the right ways. Amen. Well, our readings for today uh, start with Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 34 and going to 43. Our psalm for today is Psalm 63, verses 5 to 8. And our passage that I'll share with us from in just a moment is Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. Mark 16, 1 to 8. Pause the video for a moment, have a read of those passages, and then we'll come back and I'll share from that one. Well, no matter where you go around the world, you'll be able to see grave sites of people who are buried there. Now, if you go down to, to Greta in Victoria, you'll be able to see the gravesite of Ned Kelly. If you go to Memphis, Tennessee, you'll see where Elvis was buried. In the US, you can see where the presidents were buried. If you go to England, you can see the gravesite of Princess Diana, even Queen Elizabeth, or William Shakespeare. All over the world, there are memorials. There are places you can go that mark where great people have been laid to bury. But the same is not true for Jesus. Now, there's nowhere you can go around the world where you can see where his body lays buried today. Right? That's not to say that Jesus didn't die. Uh, of course he did. Today is part two in the Easter story. On Good Friday, we remember that Jesus died. Right? If you haven't seen that yet, go back and see our online ministry for Friday. But Jesus died on that Easter Friday. And between his death on Friday and Sunday, he was buried, he was put in a tomb. But... He's not there now. Now today, I want to take you back there though. I want to emotionally take you back to the place where Jesus died, where he was buried. To a place where we find a few anxious women waiting there on Sunday morning. Now, remembering part one on Good Friday, Jesus did die. He was dead. The crowds knew it. The, the executioners, the Romans, they knew it. A guy named uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he knew that Jesus was dead. And so he asked Pilate for the body and he took it and he put it in the tomb and had a stone roll over the entrance. Jesus was dead. Even his followers knew that he was dead. And so now as we open up Mark 16, we see some of those followers. We see three women. And so follow along with me. First one, we're told that the Sabbath was over. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Now, Mark tells us the names of these three women so that we know he's not making it up, right? If you were there back in that day in the first century, you could have gone and talked to these women and asked them what they'd seen, right? The custom back then, back then, it was to go and perfume a decaying corpse, especially someone who you thought was important. But it didn't happen on the Friday, right? As the sun came down, it was, it was getting, it was the Sabbath time beginning, so they couldn't do it. And so Friday night's gone, Saturday's gone. Now here they are, Sunday morning. And the women turn up to do the job. But the point is, if you're bringing spices along, you're expecting to see a dead body, right? You wouldn't be doing that if you thought that he wasn't there. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked, asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, 
Perhaps you think, well, they've overlooked something here, something pretty big. How's it going to happen? Or maybe they're expecting that when they turn up, other people will be there and someone, or surely a few people will get together and be able to help them. Or you might ask, where are the men? Where are the male followers of Jesus? His disciples that we hear so much about throughout Mark's gospel. Well, they're not here. They're scattered. They're probably even in the upper room chatting to each other, frightened, worried, talking about what's going to happen next. But anyway, the women, what do they do? They turn up here. They're expecting the tomb is closed. They're expecting to see a a dead body. That's really clear. Now, let me just pause and say, if the story ended here at verse 3, there would be no Christian faith. This would either be the story of a dead fool or a dead liar. But thankfully for us, the story doesn't end at verse 3. It continues on. Look with me at verse 4. But when the women looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Right? They thought the stone was going to be a problem. But it isn't. It's not a problem. It's been moved. And it wasn't by any person. This was an act of God. And how do we know it's an act of God? Well, look with me inside the tomb. Look with women inside the tomb now at verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. This is not just a regular man. This is an angel of God. How do we know? It doesn't say angel here. Well, we know it. That's the, that's the case. Not just because of Matthew's gospel, where he tells us it's an angel, but also because of the way the women respond. Right? They're, they're terrified. They're terrified. They're afraid. It's the way that people respond to angels consistently. And it's the, it's the right response for these ladies. They're expecting to come here and find a tomb with a big stone rolled over the entrance that needs to be moved. They're expecting that once the stone's moved away, they would find find a dead body there. But neither of these things happen. No, instead, the tomb is open and an angel is sitting where the body should be. And we might be tempted to ask, you know, being sceptical, did they go to the right place? Yeah, they did. Right at the end of chapter end of chapter fifteen, uh, Mark tells us that these ladies saw where Jesus' body was laid. But more than that, we know it's the right place because because of what the angel says in verse 6. He says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Right, Jesus, the man, this one from Nazareth, the one who they ate with, the one who they walked with, the one who told parables. The one who healed the, healed the sick and the lame. The one who opened the eyes of the blind. The one who cast demons out of people. The one who raised a dead girl back to life. This same one who was triumphantly walking into Jerusalem only a week earlier. The one who died on a cross three days ago. This is the tomb of that man. Make no mistake. But why was he crucified? Well... Again, this is part two. That's part one. Why was he crucified if, if, you, if you miss that? In Mark's biography of Jesus, he records three times where Jesus speaks, tells of his coming death and his coming resurrection even. Right in Mark 10 verse 45, Jesus says this. He says, The Son of Man, that's himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying that he's giving his life to pay for our debt of sin, the debt we owe. The sins of many, he says. 
And make no mistake, we are that many. Right? You and I have not lived perfect lives before God. We don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. And as I reflect, I can think of times where, where I've failed, both myself and God. And perhaps you can reflect on the same things of where you've failed God as well. Now, we don't always want God to be the boss. We want to be the boss. We want to do life our own way. And the Bible, the Bible calls that sin. At the heart of sin is a rejection of God's rightful and loving rule over our lives. Friends, this is why Jesus died. Jesus' death wasn't by accident. It was part of God's plan. But if Jesus didn't do that, what would happen when we die? What would happen when we stand before God's judgment seat? Well, if you've been rejecting God throughout your life, you'll get what you deserve. In fact, more than that, you'll get what you've asked for. You say to God, God, I don't want, there's no room for you in my life. God will say, well, that's how it's going to be for all of eternity. An eternity without him, outside of his presence, an eternity in hell. Now, that should be the reality for all of us, because that's the way that we treat God in our hearts, in our minds and with our actions. But because Jesus died as a ransom for many, a ransom for us, for our sin, that means that anyone who gives their lives to him, it means he has died to pay the price for us. It means he's taken what we deserve before God. And so if you say in your life now, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've been my own boss. I haven't had you as my Lord. Thank you that you died for me. Please be my Lord now. If you say that, then for anyone who, who does, at the, moment, at the moment of your death, you won't get what you deserve. No, instead, Jesus will stand up and say, I've paid it for him. I've paid it for her. Well, that's the reality that his death achieves. And so in the grave, then the angel says he was crucified. And he was. That's why. The purpose was to pay for our sin. But again, the story doesn't finish there. It doesn't finish with his death. Now, the angel continues on. Verse 6. He has risen. And that's the good news for us today. I want you to feel the impact of those words that echo throughout history. These three words change everything for us. He has risen. Well, Jesus did die. But he's not dead anymore. And Jesus... He died, but death is not the end. It has no hold over him, and death need not be the end for us either. Now, I've, in the last 12 months, I've taken quite a number of funerals here at church, and what I've seen is that there's generally two types of funerals, two types of graves. Uh, in the first, there's no confidence for the future for the person who's died. The first type of funeral, it's all about the past. People celebrate this person's life, which is good and the right thing to do. But there's no talking about the future and people feel awkward about it. Now, at a funeral, I will speak of the hope that there is in knowing Jesus. But for the family, so often, they don't have that hope. And then they know that their family member didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus either. There's no hope in that first kind of funeral. No expectation for life beyond the death, beyond death. But for the second type of funeral, it's totally different. 
It's one where there's confidence of life even beyond the grave. It's a completely different kind of funeral because sorrow is mixed there with joy, knowing where this person is, that they are with God. And there's a firm hope of heaven, a confidence that this life isn't all there is, And it's something that's true for genuine followers of Jesus. They can have this hope. A hope built off those three words the angel says in the tomb here. He has risen. Now without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. Without the resurrection, there is no hope of life after death. But for those who have given their lives to Jesus, the resurrection is a vindication of everything Jesus did and said while he was on earth. The resurrection means that Jesus is the Son of God. It means that he does have power to give life to the dead. It means that he does have authority to forgive sins. And it means that he died for ours. The resurrection, it signals God's yes of everything about Jesus, including his death. That before God, the price has been paid. Right? No more judgment. But only life. Forgiveness as we stand before God. Now, the resurrection means there's also a victory over death. Jesus has conquered it. It has no more more sting. It's been defeated. Not just for his sake he was resurrected, but for ours as well. His bodily resurrection is the guarantee of our bodily resurrection on that final day, if we trust and follow him. Jesus' resurrection means for us that death has been demoted from a full stop to a comma. Death is not the end anymore for those who trust in Jesus. Those three words are the reason why. He has risen. Now I started today by talking about the grave sites of people, famous people all over the world who you can visit. But you can't go and visit the place where Jesus' body lays now. His body's not there. Uh, For a lot of people, they think it's somewhere. They try and downplay the resurrection. They even doubt it. But without it, there is a a resurrection-shaped hole throughout history. There's no other way to account for the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. There's no other way to account for the totally, radically changed lives of Jesus' followers after this point. Other than that they actually saw their master, no longer dead, but risen with a real body. And they did see him. The angel says that that'll happen. Verse 7, he says... To the women, uh, go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And again, we notice that this is not by random chance. Jesus wasn't surprised by his death or his resurrection. He already told them what was going to happen. This is part of God's plan. And Jesus gave up his life in love for his people. And if you want to see the extent of that love and that grace, read again what the angel says in verse 7. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Wouldn't those words, and Peter, be a great relief for him? This is Peter who denied Jesus three times after saying, no, Lord, I never will, never, never. At the moment of his execution, Peter runs away. He deserts. But this is a promise, the forgiveness Even for those who have walked away from Jesus before. It's a promise that the Father has loving arms that are wide open, ready to accept his children in faith. And it's such a comfort for you and for me. Because because we have done the same thing. We have denied Jesus at points in our lives. 
If we think we can't be forgiven, like Peter, we can. So this grace shown to Peter, it should be a wonderful comfort for us, and I hope it is for you. But here in the story, the angel says, go tell Jesus' followers, but but look how it finishes. Verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, verse 8 is the original ending where of Mark's gospel. It stops after this point. Uh, verse 9 onwards, there are, it's a later edition. But this is where Mark wanted it to end. Right? It's not as though Mark didn't know the rest of the story, like Matthew and, and Luke and, and John. Of course he does. But he's writing here with a purpose. He wants to leave you with this, with this cliffhanger so that you would stop and think for yourself about what we've just seen happen. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, my wife, Dee, and I, we watched a movie uh, called Annihilation. And uh, it's one of those movies where in the last few seconds, you get a glimpse of something, a little, a little half twist. And it makes you question everything. It makes you wonder what's true and what's, what happens next. After watching it, we spent another half an hour talking about what we thought. That is exactly what Mark wants you to do here. And the angel says, Jesus has risen. There's an empty tomb. The women go away and say nothing. This is an invitation for you to wrestle with what you're reading with. You can't finish Mark's gospel and you know, close your Bible and that's that. No. You're being invited to respond to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, for some people, when they hear about the resurrection, they'll scoff, they'll laugh. They'll dismiss it because, you know, miracles don't happen, right? But if you were making up a story like this, this is the wrong way to go about it. Right, for one, you wouldn't cast Jesus' followers as, you know, the ones who the church is kind of built on. You wouldn't make them um, unreliable cowards. You wouldn't do it. But they are. And in the first century, you certainly wouldn't make your chief witnesses women because their witness wasn't taken seriously in the first century. It is by Christians, but it wasn't back then by, by people. This is not the way you go about making up a story about a resurrection. And so the decision then is ours. What do we make of the historical resurrection? What do you make about this claim of Jesus? He has risen. Well, just like the women, just like the disciples, we're being invited to respond in faith. And if you want to explore what this means, I want to encourage you, chat to someone about it. If you're watching this with someone, chat to them. Uh, If you're not, chat to me. I'd love love for you to to reach out. Our website details are there on on YouTube. Let us know. I'd love to help you wrestle with, with this account of Jesus' resurrection. Because his resurrection, it changes everything. And this is the chance to change your funeral. So that sorrow will be mixed with joy, right? rather than being one that's, that has no certainty for the future. You can have a guarantee of life beyond the grave. You can have the guarantee of being with God in his new creation where we will have resurrected bodies like our Saviour. Right now, we live in a fallen and broken world. It's impacted by sin. But if we stand with Jesus, we have that great promise of Revelation 21 of a day when he will wipe every tear from our eye. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, because all those things will have passed away. Now, if you're watching this and you already do trust Jesus, this is an invitation 
to let let afresh his resurrection be the lens by which you see everything. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price by the price of the life of the one who died for you as a substitute, our Lord Jesus. It's that same one who defeated death, taking its sting away from us. The one who gives us certain hope both now and in the future. Now, if you trust in Jesus, your forgiveness is guaranteed. New life is guaranteed. And so as the redeemed people of God, we celebrate at Easter because he has risen. Amen.
secure trust in his love never alone christ is with us he's with us Well, as we finish, let me do so by offering you again those words of encouragement and hope that we see in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have a great Easter. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.